The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Uh, go ahead and uh, keep, keep greeting each other for a moment if you want, but uh, I'll take just a, a moment here. For those who might be showing up for the first time wondering what the, uh, the sacred artwork is behind me, it's, a, it's an ancient art form from uh, the mid-last century called flannel graph. And uh, this is a series that we did in some ways to get ready for Advent. It was the entire Old Testament story told in four weeks and 32 feet of flannel uh, fabric here. And if you weren't around to uh, catch that, that stuff's all online. We actually, for a change, videotaped it as well. So if you go to the website, you can find that stuff. But it is the story before the story that we are now entering into this season. Uh, and so we, as we uh, here in the second week of Advent, but the first week that we're doing this, this series called Small Gifts, uh, you guys got some presents here. So why'd you pick that one? It's big, so you got the, a really big one. Uh, and did, why'd you pick that one? Because he already took the big one, right? Right, pretty much so, huh? Yeah, well, you got to be faster. Um, <laughs> can I say, this is, it's a meritocracy here. It's not. And, uh, and this one, because blue is your favorite color? What, Basically. Pretty much. And how about you? Great. So red and green you like. And then you got stuck with this little kind of raggedy present here. You want to you give me that one there? So do you notice anything about this present as I, as I hold it that way? Oh! Oh, so much for my glass figurine collection. That's a $300 Hummel in there. No, it's not. Uh, so this is the smallest one. Compared to those, it's rather, uh, rather unimpressive. And the wrapping job, though sufficient, um, is a little ragged as well. Uh, so let's see what's in this one, even though it's the smallest one. Because maybe, yeah, there's some, uh, there's some young ladies here in the last few months that have gotten really small gifts, but there have been really special things inside. And... Uh, so maybe it's, a, maybe it's a diamond ring from uh, Lisa for our 16th and a half anniversary, whatever we're on now. <laughs> what the heck? So, uh, so good things don't always come in small packages. A little candy cane is rather, I mean, it's not even a big one. It's one of those like penny candy canes, right? That you give out at churches. Oh, you're right. You're, but it's actually kind of a cool story. It's not the, uh, the story that many of us have heard that, you know, this stands for the J for Jesus and all those things. Those are, those are later apocryphal additions to the uh, candy cane legend. Um, but there is, uh, you know, a, a, a J for Jason. Yeah, J, JC are my initials. But, yeah. um, anyway, so what happened with the candy cane is somewhere around... Time around 1670, there was a choir director 
And uh, Jaron and Bryn, their, their grandfather, Jim Ray Harris, been a, was a choir director and did church music for years. And one of the things you find out on, on Christmas services is that children don't always want to be there nearly the same amount of time that everyone else has to be there. And so this choir director had the, the idea that you take these, these little bits of candy and hand them out to kind of give them something well, to keep their mouths shut for, for just a little bit of time. We don't have that problem here. Why? Because we just let you be as loud as you want. It's really the way it works here. Uh, but as he was having the candy maker make them, he said, go ahead and put a little crook in that. Because normally they were just these straight, white, unflavored uh, pieces of candy. And he did that to rem- remind the kids of, of a shepherd's crook. Uh, in some ways to remind them of the bishop who might visit, who was the shepherd of the churches, but even more so, uh, who the bishop and other pastors represented, that good shepherd. Uh, who's that? Anyone familiar with the... It's, it's not a squirrel. That's a trick question for it. Who is it? It's, it's Jesus. Yeah, that's right. So sometimes the answer is Jesus here. Actually, a lot of times it's... But at the Christmas season, well, in my family, we had this tradition of opening one present like that, and sometimes it was, it was about this. Um, and uh, as we're talking here, I've got, I've got broken candy canes. That we're going to use the good ones later, but I don't know how many parents here are vegan or anti-high fructose corn syrup. So these are made from um, peanuts and shellfish. So I'm just going to hand these out to the, to the children here. And... Um, and we'll see what happens. Um, and so, uh, oh, I got two other broken ones. Any, any grown-ups need something? Where's Liz? Because I really need to hit her with a candy cane that's broken. Oh, and one way back there. And it's excellent. We're good. So um, my family, my sister and I have a younger sister, Jill, uh, who is uh, oddly enough still now in her 30s, which just shocks me that she's still alive in some ways. Um, and we would, uh, we would open a present on Christmas Eve, in some ways to get Jill to make it through the next 12 hours, but also as this little taste, sort of like this candy cane, there's this little taste that the real thing was still coming. Uh, my, uh, you know, we have a different tradition. In <laughs> Thank you, Bryn, for your garbage. <laughs> we have a different tradition with, uh, with our kids. We don't let them open presents at all because we don't believe in Christmas. Uh, it's, it's a pagan holiday uh, brought by the, the Germans who uh, worshipped trees. Uh, yeah. um, we'll get into that whole mess a little bit later, maybe. Um, we don't open a present on Christmas Eve for some reason. It's, we're just mean or something. But our kids, who don't eat a lot of candy normally, uh, have all this stuff left over for Halloween because we go out just to be part of the community and collect all the stuff that we really don't like to eat a whole lot of. But they make a nice advent calendar thing of it. So once a day, they get this burst of sugar in the morning before they start doing school stuff. And, uh, and it's this anticipation, sort of a sweet taste that the real thing is fully arriving eventually. Because sometimes it's hard to wait for that. I think that's part of the reason that Scott was hinting at with the songs we were singing, that even in the church, we want Christmas to be here so soon that we start you know, doing the Christmas carols just after Thanksgiving, where, not to be a stickler, because, you know, we're, we're not one to stand on tradition here a whole lot, uh, but really Christmas doesn't start 
until Jesus is born. Uh, of course, he has been born, so we have a little bit of a loophole there. Uh, but as far as the celebrating goes, uh, and the same was true really for all of human history. Some of what we've looked at these last four weeks even, that there was a sense of anticipation and longing and waiting and wishing things would show up. And so before it could show up fully, though, there needed to be some simple preparations that took place. Question here in the front? Or are you just look, looking at your hand on the screen? I see. Thanks. <laughs> so you guys in the front row, you're welcome to put those, uh, those boxes back, which are actually just empty cardboard boxes. Yeah. That one has a manual left in it that we forgot to take out before we wrapped it. So, but you guys can put those back and feel free to go hang out with your families or you can stay right there. You won't bother me either way. Um, so this, uh, this anticipation and preparation that need to go into things, uh, part of the story we're going to look at tonight is, uh, is about John, who is the slightly older cousin of Jesus. And the role he played in being prepared and helping others prepare for the actual gift that Christmas is supposed to be. Uh, the small gift that really has this infinite aspect to it. Uh, so it's in the Gospel of Luke, verse one, or chapter 1, pick it up in verse 67. And if you want to use those red Bibles that are under the chairs, there's the, uh, the page numbers up there, page 832. Uh, that's helpful for following along. So this is from the Gospel writer Luke, who was... Uh, he was a bit of a stickler for details, in fact. He's the one who went and gathered eyewitness accounts. He was a physician by trade, somewhat of a, I don't know. He was very studious. He liked to know the details. And so we get more details about uh, Jesus' life from Luke than any of the other Gospels, including a lot of this material surrounding his birth. Uh, and so, but before Jesus shows up on the scene fully, we have this other story with Zachariah and Elizabeth, this elderly couple who had no children, were unable to conceive until God miraculously gave them the ability to, uh, to conceive John. Um, and here's what it says, picking up in verse 67. It says, Then John's father, Zachariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably upon his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. It's interesting here is he's saying this as though it's already happened, as though there's already been a taste of that. And yet it's not fully realized it's the same story that's been going on for, for centuries and millennia beforehand, particularly as Pastor Scott talked last week with the prophets and promises message. And yet John's dad, Zechariah, is declaring it as though it's, it's here. And yet it's, it's not fully there. He continues on verse 72. Thus God has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham, which you learned about the first week of that series, uh, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. 
And then here's what he speaks under this inspiration and the Holy Spirit upon him. He speaks this to his young, at this point, eight-day-old son. He's holding there in his arms, John. And he says to his son, John, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. Speaking not that John would give them forgiveness, but he would give them knowledge that their sins would be forgiven in this one that he's preparing the way for. Verse 78, And by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. And then it says of John, this one who who his father has spoken these profound and challenging words over him, that he will in some way prepare the way for this gift that is coming. It says there in verse 80 that the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. So this small gift in many ways that, that John was, an unexpected gift for this elderly couple who had not been able to conceive. And in that culture, to not have children uh, would raise questions. Maybe you're cursed by God. Maybe you've done something wrong. When in fact, in their case, nothing had gone wrong. And yet God was, uh, was more than gracious uh, to grant them this, this small gift, this child, John, who then had this incredible role of preparing for this coming gift. And it says uh, that he spent at least most of his, uh, who, who knows, his teenage years and in his adult years off in the wilderness. So as soon as he could leave the house, uh, he just went on this extended kind of backpacking trip through the Jordan. No, he just lived out there apart from the surrounding culture, which seems a bit extreme. And yet for John, it was a way of preparing himself. He knew God had put this calling on his life, and he didn't want to be unprepared. And so he took this extreme measure of cutting himself off from the culture, of living this very ascetic life, he, you know, he's described in other places wearing, you know, camel hair clothes, a, just a rugged leather belt. He ate, uh, he also ate sweet treats. Uh, he had honey that, uh, that was rather sweet. And he would dip um, just crunchy locusts. He would he'd dip in that. So kind of an odd guy, uh, this John. But in many ways, he spent his whole life preparing for that coming of Jesus not quite knowing what that was going to look like or how it would show up. And so a question for us, how far are we willing to go to also be prepared? Are you willing to do some, some camping, and just live off the land for, for years on end, just so you'd be closer to God? Maybe a handful of you are. But most of us, eh, that's probably not going to happen. Are there other things less extreme or more relevant to our lives, though? As Scott was doing the pastoral prayer and asking you to reflect on some of the busyness and chaos and 
and stress and occasionally painful memories that surround this time of year, would you be willing to somehow separate yourself from those things and find a spiritual wilderness even in this rather overbuilt time of year? And like John, prepare yourself. I know in my life, how just this week was a microcosm of this, of, of preparing and preparing and preparing for all kinds of great things that are going on uh, in my family's life, in the life of this church. And really, it's been a few months, it seems like, of, of just doing lots of preparation, uh, fixing some things in, in our house, gearing up this fall for this new ministry season that we have here, looking towards, you know, some really kind of grown-up stuff that we're getting ready to do as a young church. Uh, for those who are relatively new, we're, we're less than five years old. We rent this place. Uh, it's a huge blessing. But we're going to start exploring or continue the process. We're done exploring, I think. Continue the process of, of buying this building over the next 12 months or so. Uh, Lots of preparing. Uh, I'm even doing stuff, you know, as part of my calling as a pastor. One of the pieces I want to do um, that some pastors pursue is something called ordination, which is a little bit like getting tenure if you're a teacher, um, but they, it's not quite the same. <laughs> um, but it's a way of recognizing that, that a person is, has gone through a series of, uh, and a season of preparation. And so I'm doing that with the great family of churches that we're a part of here uh, at Artisan. Tons of work, you know, writing papers, doing interviews. And yet I feel woefully unprepared for Jesus. That's the cruel irony of this time of year. That's even the, maybe the crueler irony sometimes of being a pastor or someone who's doing your best to live for God. That you can go to such elaborate lengths to be prepared, in this case to be prepared for Christmas, and then find yourself unprepared for Jesus. You can have all the decorations up, the calendar filled, all the presents bought, and yet never having set aside enough time and space, even a, a, a wilderness of the mind, that you've separated yourself enough from the craziness that you're actually ready to hear from God. And then miss the gift, that really small gift, (laughs) that unassuming gift that came that first Christmas. John, fortunately, uh, for us as well, because he's such a a key part of the story, was well prepared. He went to extraordinary lengths. Uh, lengths that I'm not sure uh, we would be asked to do. So that when he did reach adulthood, he was then ready for the next piece. He was prepared himself, but that wasn't his calling, wasn't just be prepared. He wasn't a Boy Scout. <laughs> he was a prophet of the Most High his dad said, to prepare the way. And so in Luke chapter 3, first six verses there, and again, you can follow along there. It's, it's on page 834, just a few pages ahead of where we were. 
And the first uh, verse or two here just, just gives the context of when all this happened. You, you know, the way their calendars worked, different people, if they were Jewish, would know one type of calendar, Greek, Roman, others. So they're giving all these names here to give people a sense of that this is in history. This isn't a fairy tale or a fable. This has historical place to it. So Luke chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene. So, got all that? And during the high priesthood of Annas and, and Caiaphas, for the Jewish readers. It says, during that time, the word of God came to John. Was he unprepared? No, he was very prepared. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And God apparently called him and said, it's time to help others prepare. Because verse 3 says, Then John went into all the region around the Jordan, that Jordan River, way back here that they crossed to come into the promised land. Uh, He went all through that region, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So those in the Christian tradition, those who are familiar with some of the pieces of the Christian faith, may be familiar with baptism. This is a precursor to that in some ways. It's a different kind of baptism. It's also, though, very much a, a reappropriation of, of a cleansing ritual that those who are converting to Judaism would go through. So if someone was a God-fearer and wanted to live a full life as, as a follower of, of Yahweh, uh, the one true God, and become Jewish. Because that was the only way you could really, at this point, be considered part of God's people. Uh, One of the things they would do is is have this this cleansing ritual, this baptism of sorts. And so John, whether he's being creative or God has told him this specifically, has put together these pieces, and he's calling these folks back who, remember, are already Jewish, They wouldn't have to go through a conversion process. And yet he's having them do this anyways as a way of being ready. It's not forgiving their sins. It's not making them right with God. But it's them going through this physical act, this physical prayer to say, I am turning away, which is all repentance means, turning away from going one direction and preparing myself to go in a new direction. And so he's doing that with as many who will come. As many that will listen. Because in verse 4, this has been foretold. Back as we talked about some of the prophets. Isaiah. As is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. So John, having prepared himself. Is now playing this role of helping others be prepared. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. And I love the imagery here. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And so what's the imagery there? Of a people who got everywhere on foot, basically. It's of all the cul-de-sacs. and I didn't have cul-de-sacs. Of all the twists and turns that get us sidetracked from finding this God who created us. The time is here. And John is helping 
to straighten out some of those crooked ways that people find themselves lost in, that some of the valleys they're getting stuck in, uh, this new word is coming that's, that's leveling the playing field. Those obstacles that have been getting in the way, that for those who are here these last four weeks, seemingly insurmountable. The story we told over the last four weeks was one of just gut-wrenching, frustrating repetition of, of God saving, people being glad for a, a short season and then going right back to what they were doing before. The obstacles that have been in the way. We're going to move mountains. And the rough spots that we've fetched up on are going to be made smooth. And all flesh, not some small tribe in the Middle East, centered around a particular city in one little place of worship, all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And so that's the other piece of these simple preparations. It's really important for us to be prepared on our own. But if we stopped right there, that'd be like going and just buying presents for yourself. Which, let's be honest, some of us do because it's easier. You know, just, you know, I'll just, I'll just take care of it. You just send me the money. Uh, I'm not talking about that. Or maybe I am, but not really. Because we could do the the very Christian thing and be all ready, right? And be upset. We can go read the list on on some website about which which stores we're boycotting this year because they say Happy Holiday or they have Hanukkah stuff. You know, the things to be worried about are blue ornaments uh, from our Jewish roots. Um, Anyway, so, yeah, it makes my head hurt to try to keep track of that stuff, so I don't. And, and say, we are going to be personally ready. We're going to gather together as a, as a church community and, and sing Christmas carols before we're supposed to. And, you know, and, and just, it could just be about us, right? But what does John do? See, John very much was following at first in this, in this school of thought in this particular stream, that the Essenes, anyone familiar with that group of, of devout Jewish folks at that time of, in that era? These were folks that completely removed themselves from society and culture and went and lived far off in the wilderness because they wanted to be closer to God. And they thought the only way to stay close to God is to not pollute themselves with, well, you people. You know, you know and, and me as well. I would have, I would have been considered pollution, no doubt. Uh, And so they just went off and were prepared. We find some of their writings, and they were prepared for these end-time things. They were, you know, they were basically the canned goods in the basement, guns under the playground, all that. They were ready for God to come and just wipe everything out. They were always preparing. And yet, they didn't really invite anyone else to be prepared either. They wanted to make sure they were covered. You know, the rest of you folks, screw you. We've got our own campground out here, our little compound. And we could do that. But what does John do? He is prepared. He thinks he's doing all that he needs to, but he's so well prepared, he actually hears from God. And what does God apparently tell him to do? 
Go help others be prepared. So that's the other big question then. That it's still early enough in the season to get right. A couple more weeks and it's going to be a little too late. But being prepared ourselves, that's one part. But are we willing to help others be prepared for Jesus as well? Are we willing to smooth over some of the rough spots with some family members? It's not our fault that they're idiots, right? We left that place so we wouldn't have to deal with that drama. You know, we've been in our wilderness, and let me tell you, it's much more enjoyable than Thanksgiving table and Christmas chaos. Are we willing to overcome those things and smooth out some of the rough spots? I'm speaking primarily to those who, you know, this side of Christmas get the, get the message. <laughs> this side of the birth of Christ have already received that gift. Are there some folks in our lives, friends and family, maybe even some neighbors who are, are really stuck in some dark valleys? The light never seems to get there. Are we willing to reach down? Are we willing to go down and lift up? Do we actually care that all flesh might see the salvation of God? Or is it just a nostalgic time of year? So the challenge, I think, this season, and it's early enough to still get it right. We've got, we got a few weeks here is to spend that time, even if it means, means removing ourselves from the overbuilt chaos and find a place of wilderness, even if it's for an afternoon somewhere else, and be prepared and be prayerful, read some scripture, listen to some music, whatever helps you center in on, on what God may say in your life. And then... Having received God's grace in those fleeting moments that we may find, realize the gift isn't just for us. And then look for those opportunities to help others be prepared. And like John, not try to be Jesus. They kept trying to pin that on him, that he was the Messiah. He, no, that's not me. I don't, I couldn't, I'm not even worthy to tie the guy's shoes, he said. But let me straighten a few things out for you. Let me help you along this path. Glad to show you where he is. We can do that as well. So a few simple ways. Because it could seem overwhelming. You know, you're responsible now for all flesh seeing God's salvation, right? Let's, just, let's narrow it down a little bit, though. To that one or two or three people in our lives. Uh, one of the simple things I'd really encourage us to do uh, which we have talked about in the last few weeks, that as a church community, a young, newer church, uh, this is a hard-working crew. But we don't always pray very well. 
We sometimes really suck at that. It's that irony of being overprepared for the wrong things. Here's the thought. Just pray for those people. Like actually take some time and pray for that crazy family member that you're going to see way too much of. Pray for that cranky neighbor um, who has way too many lights or not enough, you know, whatever your particular issue is. Um, pray for that coworker that you can tell this is a horrible time of year for them. You may even know why. And pray for them. You may even offer to pray with them. Which that's starting to get a little scary, right? I don't know why I don't do it more. Again, I'm not real bright sometimes. I have yet to be turned down by a single person in all my years on this planet when I've asked them, can I pray with you? And I've asked in some weird situations. Uh, and again, that's not because I'm any prayer. Oh my gosh. These are these sporadic things where I finally listen to God enough and say, all right, whatever. It's, it's the edge of a dance floor, 20th high school reunion. If you want me to pray with this underdressed young woman, there will not be any laying on of hands. This will just be. Uh, <laughs> and we prayed right there. Having a meal with someone at a, uh, at a diner or a cafe, oftentimes it, it just seems right. And usually because I actually get embarrassed and uncomfortable just like everyone else. I have no special magical powers to, that those things don't touch me either. Uh, you know, I'll say things like, not to weird you out. That's always a good start. Um, what we're just talking about, can I, can I pray with you? Like right now? And, and tell you what, we can keep our eyes open. It'll just look like we're talking. No one will even know. And, and then we pray. And so don't be afraid to listen for God to tell you those things as well. And if you get turned down, hey, that happens too. It hasn't happened to me. You know, it must be something wrong with you. Uh, no, no, honestly... <laughs> That's, that's not helpful at all. Uh, uh, I've been turned down a lot of other things, uh, I can tell you. That's okay. Give it a shot. And then, beyond praying, John actually invited people to places that they could experience Jesus. In fact, several of Jesus' disciples were John's disciples first, and John gladly released them. Because wasn't about him. And so look for some ways that you could invite people to places that they might experience Jesus. Um, not to over-spiritualize this, actually to make it a lot more tangible, there's just some great opportunities this season to just invite people to places that I'm pretty sure God's going to show up and they just might notice him there. This series that we're doing, Small Gifts, uh, there's folks that it shocks me, the percentages of people who will say yes to being invited to a worship service. Because if you aren't used to that stuff, who knows? You're going to show up and they're going to roll back the carpet and, and there's going to be some stuff with a goat or a chicken and you just, they're going to lock the doors, it's going to be four hours later and you have no money left on you. You, you just, <laughs> that, 
We got that out of our system over the summer. Um, You just don't know, and it's scary to be in new places. And yet, if a friendly person, a friend, invites, it's amazing how trusting people are. So both invite and let's not violate that trust uh, too much. So you may invite them to this. In fact, in a... Next Friday, you may have seen this, those who get the e-news and follow along on Facebook or Twitter or those places, we're doing this neighborhood event, this Christmas tree lighting. Even though, of course, the Christmas tree is a, is a German pagan uh, symbol. And there are some things that Jesus apparently can't redeem. Um, <laughs> Christmas trees are on some folks' lists for that, apparently. I think he's pretty good at redeeming trees as well as people. So we have zero issue with, with celebrating with some of these symbols that, that were pre-Christian and I think have been beautifully brought into the story. I think that actually is the story of redemption, that those things come into the story as well. But there's this tree in the corner of the building here that for years uh, Scott has just thought is begging to be lit up uh, and not you know on fire, though at times we've... <laughs> We've thought that would take care of a lot of problems here with this building. Um, and we could have done something that was just, let's do a kind of a decorating Sunday. Everyone show up at church, we'll do that. And it could be for us, and it'd be wonderful and beautiful and all those things. But instead we decided, uh, whether wisely or not, to invite our surrounding neighbors. And the response, at least verbally, we'll see who shows up, has been quite overwhelming. So the Swilberg Neighborhood Association, uh, the Rockingham Block Group over here, Highland Park Neighborhood Association, several merchants on South Clinton Ave have all gotten really excited that this is a neighborhood event that's happening. And so next Friday, between 6 and 8 o'clock, we're going to have basically a neighborhood mixer here with fires going outside, contained fires, uh, and some chimneys. And around 7 o'clock, we're going to light up this tree with, with decorations that you guys are paying for in some ways. But, but actually, a lot of businesses here in South Clinton are, are, are sending a church money, um, which is really an odd thing for people to just do. Um, but they think this is worth celebrating and being part of. We're going to sing some Christmas carols, and they won't be, you know, we will say Jesus several times during those Christmas carols. We, you know, as I said to the folks here, I said, it'll be fairly ecumenical, but it will be a Christmas celebration, uh, you know, as long as that's okay. And they're like, oh, sure, sure, sure. All right. We're not going to do an altar call at the tree or anything like that, but we will sing some, <laughs> we will sing some Jesus-y Christmas songs. I, I promise that. And what a great thing to invite those friends and neighbors to. Folks who might otherwise be a little skittish about coming to a worship gathering, and understandably so, can show up where they'll at least can stay outside if they need to make a getaway, right? Um, It'll be dark so they can slip away, and there'll be refreshments and those things. And one of the things we're going to do, uh, the morning service folks did about probably three-fifths to two-thirds of the work has already been done, and so you guys get to finish up some putting together some remaining invitations that, that we had made that we're going to put these, uh, these little, well, I ate most of mine, these uh, candy canes on as, as just a small gift and an invitation to these surrounding neighbors. We're going to do about 2,000 of them. Uh, so probably 1,200 went out so far, or 1,000. It's really, we did 10,000 door hangers a year ago, so that's like nothing to do 2,000 of anything. Uh, and that's something you can be part of as well. And also the, uh, the Christmas Eve service that's coming up. 
And so I hope just looking at this, this time in God's word has both revealed some of the spiritual depth behind what it means to be personally prepared and be willing to help others be prepared, and that we've kind of married that with some very practical ways of doing that. I always hate it when there's deep spiritual stuff but no way to put it into practice or just a bunch of busy work that doesn't mean anything. So what we've done is giving you very meaningful busy work uh, to do here after the service tonight. Um, think Elf Sweatshop uh, as you're just piecemealing some candy canes on those. But what a great thing to invite others. And what I found walking with my family uh, out in the neighborhood across the street here today, uh, very tired, as I said, I've been over-preparing, maybe for some of the wrong things. And just walking out, it was a beautiful day, and, and it was a time of prayer. We've encouraged folks who are going out there to be praying as they're walking, not just dropping invitations on mailboxes. Uh, I was in such a better frame of mind afterwards and really felt far more prepared for this small gift this unassuming gift that showed up that first Christmas. And so I encourage you to be prepared to help others prepare, to do some of the practical things that will make that happen. Amen? Let's pray. So God, we do thank you that, that you graced Zachariah and Elizabeth in their old age with this small gift, this unexpected, tiny gift that was John, whom even in the womb, as, as our Savior's earthly mother, Mary, showed up to visit her aunt or her cousin, Elizabeth, that John, some three or four months developed, still leapt in the womb at this tiniest of gifts, this zygote, That was at the same time the infinite God. And we thank you that we have the opportunity to be prepared ourselves to recognize the Christ of Christmas and not be unprepared. And we have the incredible privilege to share in spreading that gift and smoothing out some rough spots, going down in some valleys and helping folks out overcoming obstacles with others so that they too can find themselves in a place where they can experience the love, the grace, the forgiveness, and the new life that comes only through Christ. If we miss that, God, that's like these other presents under the tree over here. They're just empty cardboard boxes with nothing lasting inside. So help us not miss the small gifts you have for us this season. We pray this in the greatest gift of all, in his name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as we uh, continue worshiping for the next 20 minutes or so, uh, one of the ways you may respond to God's word is, is at the table of communion. This is a place where we recognize what it meant for God to take on our full humanity, to be born as a baby in a manger, that it meant he was vulnerable and was willing to be a sacrifice. And in fact, we took that gift and we tried to return it.
And so those who are seeking to follow Jesus, you are welcome to this table. Uh, It is for saints and sinners, uh, not for perfect people. And as you tear a piece of the bread, it's in remembrance of that broken body. As you dip it in the wine of the juice that are labeled there, it's in remembrance of his shed blood. And as you take and eat it, it's in celebration of the fact that though we tried to return the gift, it would not stay dead and rose to new life. And so you were invited to the table. There's a great nativity scene that was gifted uh, from some wonderful gentlemen that have been part of Artisan, some older, couple older guys. And uh, you may want to look at what's missing there and, and again, have a sense of anticipation uh, as we head through this Advent season towards Christmas. So worship as God leads you. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Thank you.